0: Happy Easter, so glad to have you guys here. Um, I love that song, but what I love about the song more than it just uh, obviously going through the Easter story, but the idea of hope, that idea of hope. I think some of you are here today and you are very aware of that hope. Uh, You live your life based on that hope. Uh, You don't know how you could do anything else other than remember the hope that's found in Christ. Uh, There's some of you here today that have had that hope, but but it feels like it's hard to hold on to. Whether that's a situation, whatever you've been going through, uh, things that you've been dealing with in your own life, I feel like that hope might be a little bit hard sometimes to hang on to. And then there's others of you that are here and you were invited or you showed up because you saw a sign on the road, whatever the case, and you're looking for that hope. So truly, our hope for you is that as you discover what it looks like to fully follow Jesus, that you would hold on to that hope. So that's that's what we're hoping for today. Um, So August 17th, 2012, very, very important day in our family. Uh, That is my oldest son, Connors, that's his birthday. So August 17th, 2012 was the moment, the day that I became a dad. And before his actual date of birth, we were navigating through all the things that new parents have no idea what they're doing right so we were told i like, make sure you have these things packed and have these things ready so we did leading up to the due date we had our bags by the door we had everything ready we had the car seat already in the car we had everything planned for we felt like we were good to go so august 17th it was around lunchtime becky says i think we know we need to go to the hospital i think it's now time so we've planned through this. We've got everything ready to go. So then everything goes in the car and we start making our way to the hospital. Hospital's really close, only maybe about 15 minutes away. So as we're driving, um, you need to know this. What I'm about to say, you cannot hold this against me for the rest of your life. Okay. What, what time of day was it when we were on our way to the hospital? It was around lunchtime on our way to the hospital. So as we're going to the hospital, this was not out of the way. It was literally across the street (laughs) that the hospital was to the left, but there was a Wendy's fast food restaurant to the right. (laughs) Don't judge me. The husbands are like, what's the problem? Like, what's the big deal? Wives are just livid right now. So I look over to my wife. It's around lunchtime. And I'm like, hey, can we stop real quick? It's lunchtime. And she says something to me that I've learned over, we've been married almost 15 years now, I've learned something. She looked over at me, she said, that's fine. (laughs) Right? So, only being about four years into marriage when this situation was, was happening, I took her at her word. I said, she said, that's fine, of course it's fine. It's gonna take no time at all, this is fine. I've learned that's not what fine means. At all. It's the opposite of fine, and I have learned. So I did, instead of turning left to the hospital, I turned right into Winnie's. We go through the drive thru, I kid you not. I order my two junior bacon cheeseburgers, my fries, and I look over because the person through the intercom was like, Would you like anything else? So I looked over at my wife in labor, says, Would you like anything? She says, No! <laughs> Message received. Grab my Wendy's and then we head to the hospital. No more pit stops after that one. We went straight to the hospital, had a wonderful baby boy and my life was forever changed because of Wendy's and also because of uh, my son. You know what's interesting about that story is I tell that and I can already see my son snickering back there, he loves that story. He loves telling that story to the point where anytime we drive by a Wendy's and all of our families together, everybody in the car is like, hey dad, remember that time mom was in labor and you went to Wendy's? (laughs) I'm like, yes, yes, I remember. We'll go and sit down at Wendy's. We'll grab a quick burger. And my wife has this look on her face as I'm ordering. She's like, you remember where we were not that long ago with this? Okay, just make sure you haven't forgotten. It has never, ever, I've never been able to live that down. It has never ceased to be forgotten in our family. It's always the story of remember what dad did when Connor was born. Yes, we remember. I can honestly say that is a regretful moment. I've learned my mistakes. You should not do that. If you're about to have a baby, don't drive through the fast food, drive through on the way to the hospital. I've learned my lesson. It's a regret, right? You know, what tends to happen with regrets in our lives is they don't go away. Right, when you have a regret, you have something in your past that you're not proud of. It's the shoulda, woulda, couldas. If I could have done it differently, I would have. If I could go back, I would change it. It's that regret that tends to stick with us. We can't get past us. It almost just keeps reminding itself in our lives. Remember when? Remember when? Remember that regret? And over time, here's what happens. Over time, regret turns into guilt. And when you hold on to that guilt, it will manifest into shame. And shame will change your life for the worst. Because shame, you always feel unworthy. Shame, you never feel good enough. Shame, you can never move forward. Shame will hold you back and move you backwards. But that regret that never seems to go away. That guilt that seems to haunt us and that shame that never seems to let us go, it impacts every moment of our lives. Decisions we make, choices we make, how we think about ourselves, how we view others, the words we use, the thoughts we have, every single action, if we're not careful, that regret to guilt to shame will have a tight grip on us for the rest of our lives. Oftentimes, we're even beginning We even allow ourselves to begin to be defined by our greatest regrets and by our guilt and by our shame. Peter, one of the maybe most well-known disciples out of all the 12, Peter's known for a lot of things, but perhaps what he's most well-known for is maybe his biggest regret. Let's test that here. So Peter, one of the 12 disciples, regardless what you know about him, regardless how much or little you know about him, Peter denied Jesus how many times? Three. Isn't that great? That out of all that Peter did, out of all that who Peter was, everything that he accomplished, everything that he was part of, all the good that Peter did, here we are thousands of years later remembering his greatest regret, his greatest moment of sin and guilt and shame. In fact, let's look at that. Let's see what happens in in that moment. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 18. If you've got a Bible, be there. If you don't have a Bible, I'll put the verses on the screen, but I've got a bunch of Bibles out in the lobby. Those are our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible that you can read and understand um, or find, grab one on your way out. That's our gift to you. John 18, starting in verse 17. Here's the story of Peter's denial. The woman asked Peter. This is as Jesus is basically being on, uh, put on trial. Peter's out in the courtyard, and people are recognizing him. The woman asked Peter, you're not one of that man's disciples, are you? Like, I recognize you. You're one of his followers. No, he said, I am not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. And if you keep reading, you'll notice the other two times that Peter denies knowing Jesus. As they're huddled around the fire, people keep showing up and recognizing Peter. Peter. You're that guy that was with Jesus, right? No, I've never seen him in my life. Denial number two. Still huddled around that charcoal fire, somebody else comes up and says, no, I know I know you from walking around with Jesus. I know I've seen you with him before. I have no idea what you're talking about. I am not that man. Denial number three. And if you know the story, then the rooster crows. And at that moment, Peter realizes what he's done. Jesus even called it beforehand. Peter, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And at that moment, regret, guilt, and shame started to take over in Peter's heart and in his life. But what's great is we're celebrating the fact that Jesus is alive that he is risen, that he has come back from the dead. And what that means is that Jesus has conquered both sin and death, that he has taken away our shame, he has taken away our guilt. Scripture says that he has taken our sin as far as the east is from the west, that he no longer holds that against us. And that's great news, not just for the future and the hope that we can have to live in eternity with him in heaven forever. No, we get to live in that promise today. And that's what I want you to see. As we're going to go through the rest of Peter's story, I want you to see what it looks like to live in freedom with Jesus. What it looks like to have life and life abundant in using Jesus' words. Oftentimes we view Jesus' resurrection in two ways. We view it as a historical fact. We believe that he came back from the dead. Or we view it as the hope of eternal life, that we are going to be in heaven one day for those who believe and call him Lord and Savior. Both of those are true, but you're missing a really big piece of it that we get to live in that life and with that freedom today. We don't have to hold on to that regret and guilt and shame and sin. Because of what Jesus did on the cross and because he is alive and he has taken away guilt and shame, we have the opportunity to live in freedom as followers of Jesus. So I want you to see that in Peter's life and then we're going to talk about what that looks like for us. So you're in John 18, flip over just a couple pages probably to John 21. John 21, Jesus has already been crucified. He has come back from the dead three days later. And now what we see is Jesus begins to appear to his disciples and his followers for about 40 days. He appears and he encourages them, he teaches them, and he starts to move them to what's going to happen Next, and so what we're going to read in Peter's life is what has happened during that forty, or what's happening in that forty days of Jesus appearing to several of the disciples. Here's what happens again after Jesus has come back to life. John chapter 21 verse one. Later, Jesus appeared again to his disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there: Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Canaan Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, "I'm going fishing." Well, we'll come too, they all said. So they went out into the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. So he called out to them, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then Jesus said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Now, if you were to look back in Luke chapter 5, you would see that this scene that is unfolding is almost identical to the same scene where Jesus first met and called Peter to be a disciple and a follower of his. It's literally the same scenario. Peter, as a fisherman, was out with some of his other friends and fellow fishermen. Jesus shows up asked them if they've caught any fish. They said no. He said, why don't you throw the net on the other side? They do so, and they bring in literally a boatload of fish. And as Peter and the rest of these fishermen come to the shore, Jesus says, instead of being fishermen, I will make you fishers of men. He says, leave your nets and come and follow me. And Peter does just that. Peter literally leaves his nets, he turns his back on the boats, and he begins this journey of faith in following Jesus. For Peter, this had to have been an incredible memory of, this is a lot like what I went through already. And I think that's intentional. Jesus is trying to remind him of that first calling, that first moment that he said yes to Jesus. Here's what happens. Verse 7, then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So they finally recognize who this man on the shore was. It was Jesus. When Simon Peter heard that it was Jesus, that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. He couldn't wait to just get to shore. He had to jump in all clothes and head, start, start heading to Jesus. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. Which that means Peter had to swim how many yards? 100 yards to go and see Jesus. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. I love this scene. Here they are talking to who they, they don't know yet is Jesus. They catch all these fish. And then finally, the disciple John says, no, that is Jesus. Peter all excited, and this fits Peter. If you've done any Bible study around Peter, this fits Peter very well. He always acts first and thinks later. So he is just excited to see Jesus, excited to see his risen Savior. So he jumps into the water, doesn't want to wait for the boats, jumps in the water, swims a hundred yards to get to Jesus. I just imagine Peter coming up out of the water, walking up onto the shore, just soaking wet, panting because he just swam a hundred yards and just grin ear to ear as he sees Jesus. But then that grin starts to turn into a frown. And the excitement starts to turn into shame. And instead of running to Jesus, I think he stopped. And I think at that moment, his eyes locked with Jesus' eyes. And then Peter's eyes went to the charcoal fire. Isn't it interesting that here's Jesus and Peter over a charcoal fire when it wasn't that long ago that Peter found himself around a charcoal fire doing something very different? You remember? Let me go back where we just read, John chapter 18, flip back over. What we read, remember the denial when, Jesus, or, uh, when Peter denied Jesus? The woman asked Peter, you're not that man, one of man's disciples, are you? No, I'm not, I've never seen him before. Because it was cold, the household servants and guards had made a charcoal fire. It was around that charcoal fire that Peter denied Jesus three times. And now Jesus is risen from the dead And Peter comes up to Jesus and he's around a charcoal fire again. If I'm Peter, I've just got a wash of shame flow over me. And the fact that Jesus brought the charcoal fire tells me Jesus knows. It's as if Jesus looked at Peter and said, I know where you were the last time we had one of these. I know what you were talking about the last time you were around one of these. And this wave of shame and guilt and regret comes flooding back. See, we all have those charcoal charcoal fires, don't we? Regret and guilt and shame, I said it earlier, it tends to stick with us constantly. It feels like we can never get away from it. Which means throughout your day and throughout your week and throughout your years, It's as if that regret just comes back. Hey, remember what you did. Remember this one time. Remember that one season of your life. Remember what you did when. And it's almost as if you have these constant reminders of the regret. And then that guilt just takes over again, and you're not able to let it go, and it feels like it's not letting you go, and so now you're wrapped up in shame, and it becomes this vicious cycle. Especially when you feel like you've gotten past it. Man, I thought I've dealt with this. I thought i have moved past it. And then you're reminded of that shame and guilt and regret once again. Those past failures and mistakes and sins feel like they're still right there with you. So what does Jesus do here? I mean, if I, again, if I'm Peter, if I try to put myself in his shoes, is he gonna like rebuke me? Is he gonna reject me? Is he gonna call me out? Like, What, what is Jesus gonna do when he sees me face to face with all of my regret and all of my guilt and all of my sin and all of my shame. What is Jesus going to do? Well, let's see. So they have breakfast. The rest of the disciples show up in the boat. They all have breakfast. I'm sure they walked in and like it was real tense and they're like, whoa, what would we miss? So they all sit down. They have a really awkward breakfast is my guess. And then Jesus is going to ask some questions. Now, if you've been with us the last month or so, we've been looking specifically in the Gospels at questions that Jesus has asked, right? What were the situations? Who are the people that Jesus asked these questions to? And we we did a, a, a kind of a study on what does it look like if we were to ask the questions to ourselves? What would it look like if Jesus asked us those questions? So notice these three questions here. Verse 15, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, here it is, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, real quick context, the reason Jesus most likely is saying more than these is not to be disrespectful of the other disciples there. It's kind of to put Peter on the spot. If you were to go back to Mark chapter 14, you'll see the scene where Jesus is is starting to tell the disciples what's about to happen. I'm going to go away, and like, it's going to get hard, and Peter, once again, thinks before he speaks, says, I'll never leave you, Jesus. I will, even if everybody else deserts you, Jesus, I'm going to stay with you to the end. And Jesus is like, slow down, Peter. Like, actually, you're going to do the opposite. You're going to deny me three times. No, I will never do that, Jesus. In fact, even if you die, I'm going to die right by your side. So Jesus is reminding him of his own words of, do you love me? You said you were going to love me more than anybody. So Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter's reply, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question a second time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, do you see what Jesus is doing here? A third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And I love Peter's response here. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I love that Peter said, you know everything. It's almost like it took three times of Jesus asking this question for Peter to admit, Jesus, without a doubt, I know that you know what I don't want you to know. Jesus, I finally am willing to admit, you know my sin, you know my dark times, you know my regret, you know my guilt, you know my shame, you know my mistakes, you know my failures, you know my past. Jesus, you know everything, but also, but Jesus, I also know that you know my heart, you know my repentant heart, you know that it is a regret, that I would take it back if I could. Jesus, you know my sin, but you also know my repentance, and you know that I love you. That's what Peter's getting at. He's recognizing, yes, Jesus, you know everything. My sin, but also my heart. You know everything, and you know that I love you. And then again, just like the other responses, Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I love what Jesus is doing here. You see it? He, he's redeeming Peter. He's restoring Peter, denying Jesus three times. Now he declares his love for Jesus three times. That's what Jesus does. Jesus restores us. He reconciles us. We trade, we give him our regret, our guilt, our sin, our shame, and he gives us grace, forgiveness, and mercy, and love. That's what's happening in this conversation. In these questions, Jesus is saying, I know what you've done but I also know who you are. And Jesus is like, and what I've done for you covers it all. Do you love me? Then go feed my sheep. This is what freedom looks like. This is what living in Christ and having that freedom in Christ, this is what that looks like. Freedom in Christ does not mean, oh, we just do whatever we want to do because of grace. No, no, that's abusing grace freedom and grace freedom in christ is living life without regret without guilt without shame because of what jesus has done on the cross and because he came back to life so i want to look at these not just with what jesus and peter experi what peter experienced with jesus but what does this look like for us as well the first aspect of living in freedom because of Jesus' resurrection i would tell you our past reminds us of our failures and his grace it's both our past, when we look back and we see our sin, we see our guilt, we see our regrets, it should also remind us of His grace. The problem is we often get stuck at just seeing our regret and just seeing our guilt, With the, then again, it leads to shame. Some people would say, no, you need to like forgive and forget and, and, and forget the past. I'd say, no, please do not forget the past. Here's why, if you forget your past, then you forget why you need the grace in the first place. If you forget what God has saved you from, you forget how desperate you are for a savior. If you forget your sin, then there's no need for you to follow Jesus. There's no reason to be rescued. So by all means, look back and remember the sin, but don't get stuck there. Remember the regret, but thank God for the grace. Right, when I look back and and I think of Wendy's, for example, I remember my regret, But you know what else I'm reminded of? I look back and I think of Wendy's and I'm like, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, but by the end of the day, I was a dad. And for me, Wendy's is both. It is regret and incredible grace. When we look back on our sin, it should evoke that conviction of, man, I sinned. Oh, but his grace is greater. When we look back, we should be filled with gratitude because of his grace not regret because of our shame. That's what Peter gets to do. He gets to look back in the presence of Jesus and recognize his regret, but he's in the presence of grace. Freedom allows us to look back, but also to remember and to be grateful for the love, forgiveness, mercy, and grace that only comes through Jesus. Second thing I would say to you is don't let what you did keep you from what Jesus wants you to do. See, regret has, has a way of leading you backwards, not moving you forwards. Grace will move you forward. That's what freedom looks like, is moving forward into where Jesus is calling you. What was Peter doing before he had breakfast with Jesus in this scene? When we started reading out John 21, talk to me. What was Peter doing with a few other disciples? He was out, he was out fishing. Now, that's a little interesting Because earlier in Peter's life, when he first met Jesus, Jesus called him away from the life of a fisherman. Jesus said, Peter, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. And then scripture tells us in Luke five that then Peter left his nets, walked away from the boats. He walked away from that old life, stepped into a new life, having faith in Jesus and following him. So my question is, what is Peter doing back out as a fisherman again? Sure, maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's just something he likes to do, maybe. Or, does regret have a way of pulling us back? Does regret have a way of pulling us back into that old life, into the former life? Instead of moving forward, we see Peter start to go backwards. What is regret doing to you? What is the old life that regret keeps pulling you back into? What are those old habits that guilt and shame keep pulling you back into? Regret will move you backwards, but grace will let you walk forward in freedom. Don't let what you did keep you from where Jesus wants you to do and where he wants to lead you, because he's got a plan, and he wants you to take next steps. And here's the thing, for Peter, that had to have been scary. He's following this rabbi who then was crucified, came back to life, and Peter's got to be thinking, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Like, I left my old life, and I'm supposed to be living this new life, but I don't exactly know what that life looks like. And instead of walking into the unknown, instead, he says, I'm going to just go back to what's familiar. I'm going to go back to what I used to do and used to know. Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that we are a new creation with a new life. Friends, don't go back to the old life. When you say yes to Jesus, and you receive his grace, and you get to walk forward in freedom, don't turn back. We follow him, no turning back, even if we don't know what that next step looks like. Don't let your regrets take you backwards. Move forward in the grace and freedom that's found in Christ. Last thing I would say to you has to do with what Jesus responded uh, to Peter when he answered the question. Remember kind of the dialogue? It follows the same rhythm of, do you love me? Yes, well then, and he gives basically the same idea, different language, but it was take care of my lambs, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, that idea. Every single time that Peter answered, yes, I love you, Jesus responded back with an action or a command. Great, now get to work. That's basically what he's telling Peter. And that's for us as well. Living in the freedom that comes from Christ and his resurrection, we are forgiven. Now let's get to work. If you're a follower of Jesus, a believer, we have work to do. Just like Peter, we are asked that question, do you love me? And if the answer is yes, then let's get to work. What's the work? Feed my sheep. Let me help you understand that, because that probably doesn't translate very well for us today, does it? Feed my sheep. Jesus talked often about sheep, and when he did, he was referring to other people. So anybody else, the people around you, your friends, your family, your neighbors, your co-workers, the strangers, your community, all the people around you, there's the sheep. And Jesus said, here's what you're to do with them. You're supposed to feed them, take care of them, We might use the phrase, love others, love them. If you've grown up in church, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, love God and love others. Yes, that comes from the greatest commandment where Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it, love your, finish it with me, love your neighbor as yourself. That's right. But don't miss why we do that. Don't miss... Don't miss that the the, the job is not just go out and and be nice. The job is not just go out and, and love others. No, we love others so that we can point other people to Jesus. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, what we now call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was telling his listeners and his crowds and his disciples, he's like, let your good deeds shine bright for all to see. Yes, love others and serve others and be kind and be respectful. Make a difference in this world. Absolutely be full of generosity and compassion. Do all of that so that people will give your Father in heaven glory and praise. So why do we love others? Why do we serve others? Why are we generous? Why do we have compassion? Why do we care? Why do we take care of other people? So that we have an opportunity to tell them the hope of Jesus. See, the work of a Christian, the life of a Christian, is not to be nice and do good. A lot of people are doing a great job at being nice and doing good. It has nothing to do with faith. The life of a Christian is to fully follow Jesus and to lead others to him. Now, we do that by loving and by serving and by our generosity and by our compassion. We most certainly do those things, but we do them so that we would have an opportunity to tell our people about the, the reason we love. We love because he first loved us. We forgive because he first forgave us. So we have an opportunity to present the gospel and tell people the greatest news ever told, that Jesus came for me and for you, took our sins away, defeated both sin and death on the cross and rose again three days later. And now he is alive and his spirit lives in us. We have the opportunity to tell people that through our acts of kindness and our acts of love. So that's what freedom looks like. We don't live in regret. We don't live in shame. We don't live in guilt. We live in grace. And that grace changes everything because he is alive. So what if, what if Jesus asked you that same question? Do you love me? Because if you want the freedom that comes through Jesus, you have to answer that question. That was Jesus' whole point with Peter here. You want to keep walking in what's next, you want to keep experiencing this grace in this life, then you have to answer this question Do you love me? Do you love me even when it doesn't make sense? Do you love me even when it's difficult? Do you love me when you disagree? Do you love me in the good times and the bad times? As you know, love is more than just a feeling. It's a choice, it's a decision, it's a commitment. So what if Jesus asked you, do you love me? Jesus, I just need a little bit more understanding before I answer the question, do you love me? Jesus, I just, there's a few things I don't quite see eye to eye with you on, but do you love me? Jesus, I've been just dealt a a really rough life. There's been a lot of ups and downs and things, do you love me and if the answer is yes then let's get to work let's use the opportunity that jesus has given us to tell other people to tell other people what he's done to tell their people that he's alive and to show other people what freedom and true life really looks like but we have to answer the question first Some of you have answered that question. Some of you said yes a long time ago. For you, this might just be a great reminder. Yes, great, let's get to work. Use what God has given you, your influence, your resources, your relationships and opportunities to take care of other people so that you can point other people to Jesus. Some of you have said yes, but the regret is still holding on tightly. Maybe you've gone through a lot of downs more than ups. And you say yes, but that shame is still holding on. Praying especially for you today that you would experience the freedom that's only found in Jesus. And let Him take care of the rest. Let Him walk alongside you as you mourn, as you grieve, as you. Deal with the difficulties of life. Let him walk with you. Some of you have never answered that question before. You came with a friend or a family member today. There's no better day to answer yes than today. So here's what I'm going to ask of you. If you'd close your eyes, bow your head, not because this is how you were taught in Sunday school, but because this will get rid of a few distractions around you and let you focus. You would quiet your heart, you would quiet your mind. And you would answer that question for yourself. Romans chapter 10 tells us that anyone who believes that God sent his son Jesus and believes that he was raised from the dead and confesses with their mouth that he is Lord will be saved. In other words, yes, Jesus, I love you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to repeat after me. I would rather you fumble through the words as an act of love and authenticity than just do something that I lead you through. So let's go before him our savior who is alive and gives us freedom and grace jesus we come before You, and we thank you so much for what you've already done thank you for coming for me for the entire world to take our sins away once and for all thank you for taking away the guilt and the shame so that now as we remember back and we remember our regrets and our failures our mistakes and sins we actually have reason to celebrate because of what you've rescued us from, what you've delivered us from, the grace that you've given when we never deserved it. May our past bring us to gratitude, not shame, because of your grace, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for loving us more than we could ever imagine. And I pray that every single one of us here today would answer that question for ourselves. Do we love you? Jesus, I love you with all my heart with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind. And we are not perfect. Oh, but you love us perfectly. Thank you for the freedom that we, are, that we can find in a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.